time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast. This is the podcast that I designed to help you learn to thrive further in your life as I am working to thrive further in my life. I consider myself to be the world's first Thrivologist. The reason I believe I am the world's first is because I made up the term. Other people have now used that, but in the beginning, years and years ago, I'm the one who said Thrivology. That's where Thrivology Dot com came from, and I consider myself to be a thrivologist, which means that I am studying and learning and teaching how people thrive throughout their life. That means that I've been on a lifelong quest to figure out how do we best thrive, not by the fact that nothing bad happens to us, because that's part of life. Things are going to happen. Things are going to be tough. But how do we get on top of that? And how do we make the best of those things? Not only that, but how do we learn the most from those struggle points. When I look back on my life, you probably have the same experience. You realize the places where you learn the most were often as a result of the biggest challenges. And that's part of what we're doing. How do you take on those challenges? How do you take on life when life can be scary? Which brings us to our discussion today, which is about some ways to worry less. Our last episode I talked about some truths about worry, some ways to understand where worry comes from. For instance, sometimes we cross up worry and concern. We think that we're being concerned about something, but it expresses itself as worry. And the fact that worry is not really reality. So many of the things that we worry about never come true, and yet they still capture our attention. So we talked a lot about those pieces last week, about how we extend our own sense of self. And so worry is about the things that we attach to ourselves. We also talked about the fact that we tend to self-validate the belief in worries. People who worry tend to look at the few times they were right, not the many times they were wrong, to prove that they should be worried. Which brings us to the reality of the fact that people tend to worry a little bit. And how do you reduce that? Because as far as I'm concerned, as far as I can tell, for the most part, worry is wasted energy. As you probably know, you've probably heard me talk about jujitsu. One of the things that is true in jujitsu is that part of what you're trying to learn is how to conserve your energy in the midst of a fight. So when I am in the midst of a struggle and somebody has got me tightly held down and they've got me in a control position, I can fight and fight and fight and fight. I can spend a lot of energy trying to get beyond something that is going to be impossible for me to get out of. It's kind of like worry. I can worry and worry and worry and worry and send out all of my energy. And if I do that, When there is time for action, when there's something I need to do, something that requires my attention, I don't have the energy. I've lost all the energy to the worry. It's the same in jujitsu. When somebody has me pinned down, let's say they have me in what we call the mount or the side control or even the guard position, and they really have a good hold on me, I'm not getting away if they're really good. That's one of the things that happens as people get better in jujitsu. If they've got someone down, they pretty much have them locked down unless they create an opening. 
So my task is not to fight against the position, not to waste a lot of energy because there will be an opening. If somebody has me in a tight position, they can't further proceed. They can't submit me unless they change their position, which gives me an opening unless I've exhausted myself. And the same is true in life. We get lots of openings in life. We have lots of opportunities in life as long as we haven't worn ourselves out in the midst of all of our worry. That's part of why we want to stop the worry. The other reason is because there's nothing pleasant about worrying. Now, there is a part of our brain that gets a reward from the worry because it makes us feel like we're doing something. More than that, if you worry enough and then something comes true, you get a huge dopamine load, even if it's something bad that happens, because you go, oh, I knew it was coming. You know, you may have had that experience where something happens to somebody, and you go, oh, I knew that all along, and there's almost a part of you realizing that you're getting some joy out of that. It's not joy. It's a dopamine hit. The part of your brain that it's the same thing that when you're watching a TV show and, you know, they're asking some trivia question and you come up with the right answer, you go, oh, I feel good about myself. I knew that. That little surge is dopamine. So worry gets reinforced with that. But it's such a wasted energy field. We're not making good progress with worry. So let me just make an offer. If you like to worry, if you're getting a lot out of that, if you enjoy it, there's nothing I'm going to say in the next little bit that's going to convince you that you want to give up that habit. But let's say you recognize that what you're doing is giving up energy you would rather invest somewhere useful. Then I think you're going to find these next seven pieces of how to worry less very useful. Now, notice that I didn't say how to eliminate worry because worry is a habit. And we humans often get into a habit of it, so we have to work on worrying less and less and less. That's part of the process. So instead of instantly eliminating worry, let's work on reducing worry little by little over time as we break all habits and figure out how we can do that. So the first one, the first way to reduce worry, separate your concern from the worry. It's one of the things that I realized from my life in the South, that a lot of times people have assumed that their care for somebody is worrying. You know, parents felt like they were caring for their kids by worrying about what was going to happen to the kids. Spouses cared for a spouse by worrying about what was going to happen. People cared for their parents by worrying about what was going to happen. And they began to think that the concern and the worry were the same thing. The care was an equ- equated to that worry. So the first thing is just to reset that, to understand that care is different from worry. I can care for somebody. I can care for lots of things, but I don't have to worry about them. I can separate those two pieces and accept that worry isn't at all effective. Because part of what we talked about in the last episode is that sometimes concern is the substitute for action or worry is the substitute for action. Because we feel like we're doing something when we're thinking about something. 
had the experience a number of times of people coming to my office and they were just worrying like, pretty much nonstop. And I would ask what they were doing and they would say, what do you mean? I just told you what I'm doing. I'm worrying about it. They had equated the doing and the worrying. So if we acknowledge that worry is different than concern, we can also acknowledge that the worry is not actual action. It's just the motion we go through. It's a way of expressing our fears that make us feel like we're doing something, even if we haven't taken any action whatsoever. So that's the first one. It's merely a reset that helps get us ready for the following ones, because what we're trying to loosen is our hold on, on worry, or more clearly, the hold that worry has on us. Remember that we as humans have this natural capacity of looking for the dangers around us. It's just that worry is extending looking for the dangers into the future. So just for a moment, remember how last episode we talked about the fact that worry doesn't happen when you're thinking about what's happening right now. It happens when you're thinking about what might happen. So all animals are looking for the dangers around them, the dangers right now around them. Not the dangers that might come tomorrow, an hour from now, a week from now, a month from now, years from now. They're looking for the danger right now. And we might do well to learn that lesson. We might learn well to take that moment in, that, that sense in, that part of worry that takes so much energy is because it's all about the multi-possible futures that are out there that we can cover. So we separate concern from worry, and the second thing we do is ask the simple control question. When we're aware of what we're worrying about, we ask the question, is this something over which I have control? I've talked about this in other podcasts, but we only have three things that we control. We control our aspirations, our attitude, and our actions. That's it. Our aspirations. The aspirations are our dreams, our hopes what we want out of life, our big goals in life. Those are our aspirations we can choose. Now, you control those, meaning you can choose them. It's possible that when you don't control them, you don't find them. You don't have those goals in front of you. You don't have the aspirations. But we get to choose those. We don't necessarily get to choose the fears that might pop into our head. They're kind of the opposite side of aspirations. Fears, automatic. It's our brain looking for the danger points. Aspirations, our choice. I can choose what I want to get done, what I want to have in my life, how I want my life to go. I can choose the aspiration of that. I have some control over that through my actions, though. The second thing we can control is our attitude. A lot of people fail to notice that, but I can adapt or adopt an attitude that I will figure things out, that I can change, that I can move forward, as opposed to the attitude that I'm just stuck where I am. There's nothing I can do. I can't learn new things. You're just stuck where you are. That's a fixed mindset, according to Carol Dweck, versus a growth mindset. The growth mindset says, I can keep on improving and working on things. I can keep learning. I can keep developing. I can keep moving forward. So we have that choice. We have that in our control. And the last thing in our control is our actions. What we say and we don't say. What we do and don't do. Now, notice what's not in that. We can't control somebody else's aspirations. We can't choose the goals for them. Not long term. 
a lot of people, especially parents, try to do that for other people, especially kids, trying to choose what they should aspire to. Ultimately, that, that rarely works on either side. It leads to an unhappy child and unhappy parents as they try to get to that state. We also don't have a choice about somebody else's or control over somebody else's attitude. If they say, I can't do it, we might try to convince them of that, but we don't have control over whether they adapt that or adopt that attitude. And the last thing we can't control is their actions. Ultimately, we don't have control over somebody's actions. So when something is going on, there is the control question, and that is simply this. Do I have control over what I'm worrying about? Is there something I need to aspire to? Is there an attitude I need to change to? Is there an action I need to take? And if not, I need to acknowledge that I don't have control over that. Again, this loosens the strings that worry has over us and that we have on involved in that worry. So just ask the control question. Because if you can't control it, you can work to release it. If you can control it, you might need to take action on it. And that's all that's left. There's worry suddenly is gone because if you can't control it and you release it, worry begins to evaporate. If you can't control it and you choose to take action, worry evaporates in taking action. And that leads us to number three. So what happens if you still have these worries that keep popping up around you? Remember that part of the brain that wants to make sure that you're looking for the threats around you? That's the part where worry starts. And so that part of the brain might need a little reassurance that you're going to take care of things, that you're going to be watching out for the threats. So one of the things that cognitive scientists have suggested is that you set aside a worry time. And this is strategy number three, set your worry time. Pick a specific amount of time, 10, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, no more than 30 minutes each day that you're willing to worry. And you can do it when it's convenient for you. Just don't do it right before you go to bed. And I would suggest not doing it right when you get up. There's no reason to put your energy right when you get up or right before you go to bed into your worry space. But maybe sometime in the afternoon when things are a little more quiet, a little calmer, take some time and set it aside and say, okay, that's my worry time. Now, what you do is important. Throughout the day, when you notice that you're worried about something, just write it on your worry list. And then pull that worry list out when you have your worry time and decide you're going to worry about it. A couple of things might come out of that. First thing you might recognize is that whatever you wrote down earlier (laughs) really isn't worth your worry. The other thing you might realize is that you actually do have control about those worry thoughts. You can set them aside. And if you can set a thought aside, you've proven that it doesn't have a hold on you. The other thing it does is it does reaffirm or reassure that part of your brain that wants to make sure that you're not in danger, that you're, you're paying attention, right? You're reassuring it that you're paying attention to the possibilities that are out there. You're paying attention to the threats. And that part of the brain can then take a breather and accept that you're doing what you need to to keep it safe. Number four Focus on acceptance. Acceptance is seeing that what is really is what is. It's one of the chapters in my book 
about Thrive Principles. One of the strategies is to realize that what is really is what is. Thomas Leonard, who is kind of the grandfather of life coaching as a profession, said that there is this place where we get to where it's the present perfect. Wherever we are, whatever's happened to us, whatever's going on in this moment is a perfect representation in the present of everything that's happened before. When you say present perfect, it kind of sounds like you're going back to English class talking about some tense in a language. And instead, instead of a tense, it's talking about what is. This moment is a perfect representation of what happened before. Now, it doesn't mean perfect like you want it as much as that's what it adds up to. It's kind of like a science experiment. If you start putting chemicals into the pot and you mix them together, that mixture represents a perfect assimilation of everything you put into it up at that moment. That moment, it's expressed. That point in time is expressed in that mixture. So where you are right now is where you are. And one of the things that often brings about some worry is trying to change what is. Trying to find a different alternative reality to the moment that's going on right now instead of going, okay, this is where I am. Now, acceptance that what is is what is is not about giving up. It's giving you a starting point. Whenever we say, okay, this is truly where I am, we now have a place to go from. Lots of times worry is trying to find an alternate reading of where we are rather than reading where we are and deciding where we want to go from here. So focus on acceptance that what is, is what is. It's not giving up. It's just going, okay, this is where I am. And I can take a big deeper breath and go, here's where I am. It's acceptance. Now, the next ones start to bring us a little more clarity because number five is bring to present when you're caught in worry. Bring yourself to the present. Remember in the prior episode, I talked about the fact that worry is future-based. It's looking forward into the future. If I walk outside right now, I don't worry about what the weather is. I might worry about what the weather is going to be. If I'm looking at my kids, I'm not worried about what they are right now. I'm worried about what they might become. If I'm looking at my own life, whatever's going on, I'm thinking about what that means projected forward. In this present moment, we have so many things that are trying to get us to worry But what we can deal with is where we are right now. What am I going to do right now to protect myself? What am I going to do right now to protect the people around me? What am I going to do right now to make sure I'm in the best place in this present moment to move forward? So bring ourselves back to the present generally pulls us away from worry. And one of the ways you can do that is to ground yourself. If you're walking, I want you in this moment to fill the ground. If you're out on a walk, out on a run, doing something, fill the ground as your feet are touching the ground. Feel the way your weight distributes across your feet as you're taking a step. If you're sitting down somewhere, if you're sitting at your desk, notice the seat that's holding you. Notice your feet on the floor if they're touching the floor. Notice how your weight pushes against that and therefore it pushes back. Notice that. Notice the sensation of that chair on you. If you're in your car, notice the car seat underneath you. This is not one where you want to close your eyes if you're driving or if you're walking, but just for a moment, notice around you. 
You've already noticed the seat around you or the earth underneath you, which you probably weren't noticing until I brought it to your attention. Now notice what smells there might be around you. Take a big breath through your nose, like a big smell of what, what it is around you. If you're outside, maybe you smell freshly cut grass or honeysuckle or flowers or trees or exhaust if you're walking along. If you're in your car, you might smell the air freshener in your car or the scent of a new car if it's fairly new or maybe some other scent from outside that's coming in. If you're at your desk, same thing. You're probably smelling something of those around you. Just take a smell and be aware of that sensation. Notice the air moving across you. Notice how it touches you. If you're walking, the breeze that goes by. If you're in your car, the breeze from your vents. If you're in your, your office, maybe the air conditioning. If you're at home, whatever breeze is coming across you, just kind of notice the air on you. Now, in none of those things did you experience worry. You just experience where you are and where you are in the world. You grounded yourself. That brings you back to the present moment. Mindfulness is what we just did. You became mindful of the experience that you're having right now. You can't be mindful of what will, you will experience tomorrow. You're only mindful of what you're experiencing right now. Our mind only has so much bandwidth. It can only spend so much time. And if it's spent on worrying, you're no longer present in the moment. But here is the place where you have control. If you're present, you're no longer worrying. So when you find yourself in a worry place, bring yourself back to the moment. Reassure yourself you'll go to your worry time. But experience this moment where you are. Be grounded in yourself. Go through the experience of what's around you, the environment that's around you right now. The sixth thing is to breathe through the worry. There's this thing that happens when we breathe correctly that assures the scared place in our brain that everything's okay. When you're under threat, you naturally breathe through your chest, and you probably even start breathing through your mouth as a way of getting as much oxygen into your system at the same time you're protecting your vital organs. That's what your brain automatically does to you. In fight-flight mode, we stop breathing from our diaphragm. We often stop breathing from our nose. We breathe only through our chest. And that tightens everything up and protects us, which tells our brain that there's something that's at risk. And here we are in a world where you're raised to hold in your stomach Stand up straight. So we kind of borrow our peace from good posture and from trying to hold in our bellies and in the process tell our brain that not everything is okay, that there's something at risk. So let's turn that around a little bit. Breathing through your worry takes a couple of things. The first thing to do is to breathe through your nose. Some people... We'll struggle with this because we live in a culture that often breathes through our mouth. I've been practicing this now for a while, and there are a couple of things that happen when you breathe through your nose. If you heard my interview uh, with James Nestor when he talked about his book, Breath, there is a lot of scientific research about the difference between mouth breathing and nose breathing. But one of the things that we're seeing more and more in the studies about nose breathing is that naturally... Re, uh, releases nitric oxide into your system, which dilates your blood vessels, which calms your system and gets your circulation going better. 
just by breathing through your nose. It doesn't happen when you breathe through your mouth. It happens when you breathe through your nose. The next thing that happens is your nose naturally adjusts the temperature of the breath into your lungs. So your lungs are able to relax into that breathing to not be having to deal with cold or hot air, but a regulated air. The other thing is that you become more intentional just by deciding you're going to breathe through your nose. So the first thing is to breathe through your nose. The second thing is to breathe deep into your diaphragm. If you were to lie down on the ground and put a hand on your breastbone and a hand on your belly button, and you were to practice breathing so that only the hand on your belly button went up and down, you would have discovered how to diaphragmatically breathe or, easier said, belly breathe. When you're belly breathing, you're naturally telling your brain, hey, everything's okay. There's no attack here. There's nothing going on. Just by regulating your breath, you're taking control of what's automatic in your system and bringing it back under your conscious control. So breathing deeply through your nose and then a little more slowly. The magic is about a five to six second in-breath and out-breath. When that happens, your body naturally gets into a slower pattern. It pulls away from the scary things. And one of the things that is certainly possible about anxiety is that there is a huge component of breathing incorrectly that fuels anxiety. And by the way, when you're anxious, you worry. So breathing through your nose, deeply into your diaphragm, and a little more slowly than normal, can be a way of breaking the hold of worry in that moment. In fact, that is one of the primary things I do when I find myself at a stressed out period. I immediately check in with my breathing. So breathe through your worry. Number seven is practice gratitude. Gratitude is almost the opposite of worry. Worry is is going, what's wrong? What might happen? What might go wrong here? Gratitude is, what's right? What might go right here? What am I thankful for? So a gratitude exercise can be just as simple as getting up in the morning and looking out for three things for which you're grateful. Not just looking for them, but experiencing that. You might see a big smile on your kid's face and be grateful for that. You might see the birds flying around and be grateful for that. You, you might notice the taste of your coffee and be grateful for that. It, it doesn't have to be anything big. But look for three things, three different things every day, at least three, no more than five. Just jot them down. You can write them in your phone. You can write them in a journal. But find somewhere where you can practice the feeling of gratitude. At the end of the day, just go back and look at your list again. Remind yourself that they are things that you're grateful for. Because what you're trying to do is create a pattern in your brain that's looking for gratitude. Looking for ways to be thankful. Which is different than your brain that might be looking for things to worry about. Remember that worry is a habit you get into. And these seven pieces can help you break the habit of worry so that you worry less. If this has been helpful, you'd like to learn more. You can learn more about my Thrive Principles by going to thethriveprinciples.com, thethriveprinciples.com, or you can check out all of my books at thriveology.com books. That's thriveology.com 
slash books. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to build your thriving life. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.